Hello, Super Science Happy Hour friends. This is your pal and co-host, Matt Johnson. I uh, just wanted to give you uh, a little update before the episode here. Sorry it's been so long. Matt Krause and I actually recorded this episode a very long time ago. This was around January 8th or 9th, 2014, and it's now sometime in... Uh, actually, as I record this, it's uh, Easter, so April 20th, 2014, so just a little over three months between recording time and release time. Uh, sorry about that. One of the reasons for the delay is just that we were busy, but the other reason is that we had some weird audio issues with Matt Krause's microphone and so forth, which uh, led us to lose a bunch of his audio later on in the episode. So we messed around for a little while, played around with various things, tried to decide what to do, and that took a little bit of time. What we ended up doing was just uh, cropping the episode at that point. Maybe we will try to find a way to clean up what was messed up. We might have some sort of programming competition to see if anyone can figure out an algorithm for fixing the um, distorted audio that we got from him, because actually the conversation was pretty good, and it would be nice to recover that, but uh, we'll see about that. Meanwhile, though, uh, there's plenty of episode that we managed to record before the audio got too weird, so we figured we just cut the conversation when it started getting strange and release it as is. So that's what you're about to hear. Thanks for listening once again, and uh, hopefully next time we will have all of our audio issues sorted out, and it won't take quite so long uh, between episodes. Happy listening. I am a scientist, I seek to understand me. Welcome back, everyone, to the Super Science Happy Hour with Matt and Matt. I'm Matt Johnson. And I'm Matt Krause. And we're here to talk science at you for uh, another year. So here we go, I suppose. Yeah. Um, My New Year's resolution, I don't know about you, Matt Krause, but my New Year's resolution is to podcast more frequently, but also more succinctly. Me too. So our new plan is just to have uh, shorter podcasts with uh, perhaps a little bit more focus. And you may recall <laughs> <laughs> that we have announced this plan several times before. Uh, but it's a new year, and along with losing 15 pounds, we're actually going to do it. Did I tell you my New Year's resolution proposal? No. Oh, so this is actually one of my better ideas. So I think New Year's resolutions are kind of stupid, because you kick off the new year with a big party, you know, you're drinking with your friends, you stay up all... Sorry, go ahead. I had a... <laughs> Had a catastrophic microphone incident, but we're good. You, you stay up all night. You're you're out with your friends. You're you know drinking beer and eating candy and chips or whatever. And of course, this this is how you're going to kick off your new year: losing weight and getting up early in the morning and being super productive. Right. Well, it's kind of the Lent theory, right? Well, so what I think should happen is that you get a grace period. So you have the new year start, and then on the fifteenth, all your New Year's resolutions go into effect. So you can sort of work your way into it. And the 15th is perfect, because it's, you know, it's middle of January, so it's not too far off. And it's also Martin Luther King Day, so you have a dream. And your dream is to <laughs> not judge people by the content of their, or the color of their skin, <laughs> but also to lose 15 pounds. <laughs> I, I, I could be down with that. I mean, I've, I'm down on the general idea of New Year's resolutions in general. You know, I think people should just resolve to do things differently. 
you know. Yeah, but I mean, the landmark sort of helps to get your stuff together. And yeah, it is true. I don't know, but uh, you know, I'm down with it. I am actually. What's funny is I did join a gym in late December, but it was just because it was cheap. Have you actually noticed an increase in uh, gym patrons since the I've new year? I've only gone a couple of times, so I can't really say. But actually, I usually avoid going to the gym the first week or two of the new year and then uh, only go once once the people have already given up on their New Year's resolutions of getting healthy. Huh. I wonder what the like half-life of a gym membership is. Oh, I think it's about a week for most people. I mean, I think a lot of them never get used at all. That's crazy. Free money. I should open a gym. Uh, well, it worked for the guys in Dodgeball. <laughs> all right we'll save that for 2015 <laughs> well yes uh so it is you know the first well at least for us it's what the second week i guess of 2014 now uh so this podcast will probably be coming to you guys sometime in mid-july based on our uh, last episode release schedule Ooh, harsh well that's that's really on me more than you because i was the one that had to edit it yeah and we should point out that you also moved across the world literally across yeah. the world it's true. But yes, it's, it is 2014, so we'll be spending most of this year actually working on our designs for hoverboards and uh, flying cars so that we can have those ready to go for next year. True. Very true. You, you realize that also means that today is as far away from Back to the Future 1, almost, as Back to the Future 1 was from 1955. Oh my god, really? Yeah. Well, because he went close. 30 years forward and 30 years back, so in one more year... I saw this terrifying list on Reddit of things that were either the same distance apart or happening contemporaneously. Yeah. And it's really, it's really weird how you think about history. Like, there were woolly mammoths at the same time that the pyramids were being built in Egypt. Oh, yeah. No, that's like, woolly mammoths are, at least in my head, like, you know. <laughs> we've just yeah. come down from the trees and... Yeah, and, uh, right, I can't remember any of the... Like, I believe it was things like, um, and the pyramids were more... Were, were more um, ancient to, like, Cleopatra than Jesus was to us and things like that. Oh, uh, yeah, that was on there, too. I mean, it's sort of easy to forget that Egypt lasted for a very long time. Yeah. So we were born in the early 80s. And doesn't, like, 1968 seem just like a crazy different era to you than, you know, than anything you've ever experienced? No one was alive then. Right. But that was really only, like you know, one bar mitzvah teenager from the year I was born. So, Yeah, that's true. All right, I found the list. Here are a couple other good ones. The same year that MS-DOS premiered, the guillotine stopped being the official method of execution in France. That can't be a coincidence. (laughs) Karl Marx and Abraham Lincoln wrote each other letters. That's kind of crazy. I mean, that one's not... I think of them both as kind of similar vintage. It was mostly probably about beard trimming methods, right? Well... No, probably not. They'd be very short letters. <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe beard growing methods. The fax, or the first commercial fax business, debuted the same year the Civil War started? Well, that that must be fax via... How, how... What? Like, what kind of fax was that, though? Is that fax via, like, telegraph, or fax via some weird system they used over the... Tel- well, there was no telephone line then, I guess, right? Uh, no, it's, it looks like a fax machine. Hmm. It could reproduce signs and signs and things like that. The scanning fax, which is, I guess, like exactly what we have now, was until 1881. But okay. I mean, I I faxed something earlier last week. Oh well, you and Kim Jong Un <laughs> are in good company together. You saw that article, I assume, right? Oh yeah, that they fax each other insults. 
Well, or declarations of possible war and so forth. Um. Although it is weird, you know, that's another weird thing to think about. You know that, was it Bill Clinton, I think, that sent exactly one email the entire time he was president? Maybe. I mean, George W. Bush, no, sorry, George H.W. Bush was baffled by the supermarket checkout, like laser scanner things. Yeah, well, that's that's sad in a whole different way, but. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think W. didn't send many emails as president either. Like, you know, it's weird to think that there's still people in this world, ruling this world, that don't use things like email. Yeah, that's a little terrifying. Yeah. Although I, I had a Chaucer professor in college who understood email but was baffled by attachments. <laughs> like, I went to his office to go over a paper, and yeah. uh, I was like, you know, so I, I sent it to you, and we can just look at it on your computer. And he's like, no, how did it get in my computer? <laughs> and I uh, Was this guy actually born in, like, you know, 1300? I mean, he was pretty old, but I guess if you're a Chaucer professor, there's not a lot of, like, technology. Did he talk in Middle English and... Oh, he did. That was the best part of the, the class. Dr- had the Drucht of March hath parsed to the Ruta. By that every vein in Switch liqueur, of which virtue, of which virtue engendered is the flower. I can't believe that we both had to memorize that. With his breath, in spirit, in every halt and heath, the tender croppus in the youngest son, her half-course in the ramuron, and small fools that mark in melody, that slip in all the necks with open e. In pricketh nature in her garages, and long in folk to go on pilgrimages. Go on pilgrimages. Oh, you remember better than I do. Strange, strong, uh, strange lands, to fern halls, nooth and sundry lawns, especially of every shearer's end of England to Canterbury they went. Sidebar to all the listeners, the rest of this podcast will just be Matt Krause reciting the rest of the Canterbury Tales in Middle English. Please proceed. Actually, <laughs> if I can beg from our listeners, I would pay good, solid American money or even solider, plasticky Canadian money. Uh, to get an ebook, or to, sorry, to get an audiobook of someone reading the Canterbury Tales in proper Middle English. So, if anyone knows of such a thing, please tell me, and I will, I will love you forever. Have you looked on? Have you looked for this before? Or? I have, and there's one on LibriVox, but it's someone just reading it phonetically, and it sounds awful. Okay, I was going to suggest LibriVox, but uh, clearly, no. It's it's like it's like Peggy Hill of Middle English. Won <laughs> that April of Shorter Sota. Yeah, they, they got them shores and they were soaked and uh, it pierced the drought down, not right down to its roots. You and know. So anyway, I, uh, they go on some pilgrimages. I actually had totally forgotten about this, but I used to do a kind of a character. I don't know why this came up in college, of where I would read Don Quixote, you know, in that basic kind of voice. Except I called him Dan Dan Quixote, and then Dan Quixote went down to the windmill, etc., etc. I feel like that could actually be a great TV show. Dan Quixote. Well, like a retelling of Don Quixote, but set in set in a trailer park. Yeah, that that could work well, I think. Take this out of the podcast so we can option it. <laughs> yes, we'll add that to our long list of screenplays we'll never write. All right. Anyway, so we are sixteen minutes into our podcast and have already veered off topic. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, so, uh, you know that's all right. Um, so I'm looking at our show notes, and uh, we have two things, and I think ironically, number two is listed as number one. So maybe you should lead off. Uh, all right. Well, I think you have probably read both of these more recently than I have. But so these were both in the news semi recently. Uh, they kind of made the blog rounds and so forth. I'm not at all stalling while the page comes up. But uh, you know, we haven't talked about them yet. So this one was. <laughs> Indeed, was, we haven't. <laughs> we have not. So uh, yeah, in in October of 2013, 
scientists published a new law of urination, which is that pretty much all mammals take approximately 20 seconds to completely void their bladders, which is kind of a weird universal law, considering the fact that there's a big difference in size between like a mouse and an elephant, but apparently they all take around 20 seconds to pee. And that's weird. The National Geographic has this hilarious infographic showing the amount of pee in various animals. Yeah, we'll link to that one because that's, that's the article that we're I apparently both have open in our tabs right now. Because, yes, you clearly need uh, an illustration to show the difference between a Great Dane and an elephant. Actually, this kind of loops into our previous podcast with Andy when we talked about um, filling up a Gatorade bottle with mountain lion urine. Uh, but apparently, it takes about 20 seconds for that mountain lion to, uh, to void itself of that uh, Gatorade bottle full of urine that you can then buy for like $30 online. So the weird thing is like looking at this slightly more carefully is that for an elephant, right? Like there's gravity helping pull the urine out. So it says that the elephant's urethra is about the size of a, a house pipe, which is not terribly useful, but that's Sounds huge. about right to me. <laughs> 10 centimeters across and about a meter long. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever seen an elephant pee, but it is actually a pretty impressive feat. Oh, there's a video. Well, I mean, the, the average the average bladder volume of the African elephant is 42 gallons. So basically that's... 42 gallons? Well, that's filling up my car like three and a half times. Except, you know, sadly, my car does not actually run on African elephant urine. 42 gallons? Yeah. Whereas what the human human bladder volume is usually like a, a liter or two, I suppose. Yeah. Something like that. So for comparison, that that's... Three kegs of beer. That's pretty impressive, yeah. But, uh, I mean, all the more impressive that they then get it out in 20 seconds, just like humans and all the rest of us do. Apparently this is all by videotaping at the zoo. (laughs) So while we were putting this together, I actually looked at David Hu, who is the last author in this paper, his output. And I'm guessing he must have just gotten (laughs) tenure. (laughs) By output, you mean not the kind that takes 20 seconds to uh, produce. You know, that was that was a little bit dark. You should drink more water. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I had to. I'm actually drinking this radioactive red uh, crystal light stuff right now. Um, and I might have to take a 20-second break later in the podcast, depending on how things go. But go ahead. It's Well, it was just funny. So he's switched from doing, like, very, very sort of physics, physics-y, you know, we're going to model symmetry breaking under these conditions, to... Uh, he has one about mosquitoes flying in the rain. Well, this one about the universal law of urination. And another one about flowers. I want to get tenure and do is, things what, like this. What is this guy's actual... What physics. Is, does he have a grant? Okay. Well, so I the, think... I mean, his for this, thing is like the, the physics zoo. of kind of everyday things. I well, suppose. I guess if you're a physicist, you can just sort of mess around. I suppose. I mean, if you're not trying to get a grant to build like the next LHC or something, I suppose you can do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, if you're on hard money from teaching, right? I mean, yeah, you just have to do something interesting. <laughs> Which clearly, well, does it say, um, I believe it said, like many new parents, David, who a mechanical engineer at the Georgia Institute of Technology has changed a lot of diapers. I'm assuming they interviewed him or something and are not just making that up. But maybe this comes from the fact of like, he just had a bunch of video of animals at the zoo from taking his kids or something and decided to analyze it. Yeah, well... If you are so inclined on Archivix, there is a large movie entitled Mammal Micturation Reel. Did you finally end up downloading that whole thing? I cannot bring myself to click the link. But there's also a small one if you'd like to put it on your phone. Um, yeah, I think I'll pass. That would be hard to explain if someone 
stumbled upon it. So what's weird about this, it's discussed in, in the physics... Oh, actually, it says three of whose graduate students at Georgia Tech used high-speed cameras to record urinating animals at Zoo Atlanta and elsewhere. So this was actually more formal than I was giving it credit for. But that's pretty straight. You know, it goes into the physics of it. It's pretty straightforward in a way insofar as you have a bigger opening and more volume can pass through. What I don't see anywhere is why this is. Except, I mean... You know, they they say, well, the shorter pit stop decreases your risk of being eaten by a predator or something, I suppose. But that, to me, doesn't fully explain why it would be almost exactly the same from animal to animal, would it? No, it doesn't really... Yeah. Or is this just something... I have to think about this more now, actually. So larger animals not only had larger bladders, they also had longer and wider urethras. The length increases the force of gravity. I guess what I'm trying to think is now... Is this something that just falls out of the physics of making your body larger? Or is this some, you know what I mean? Like what I didn't get from this was, yes, um, larger animals have, you know, longer and wider urethras, but do they have disproportionately longer and wider urethras relative to their body? Or is that what they're trying to say? I think, well, no, I think it's actually flipped around, right? So, uh, yeah, it's weird, right? So they have very different systems, but they all seem to produce the same result. I mean, I guess that is true because you obviously have a lot of other factors in play. So you think that, you know, if a given animal has a tends to have a shorter urethra, then they'll have a wider one or vice versa. I guess. I mean, it's it sort of for, seems for to that, break for down that, like size class of animal. I mean, it seems to break down for like uh, so it says it doesn't work for bats and rats because they're too small. Yeah, I, I was going to qualify what I said earlier that I guess it doesn't go down to mice or whatever because it says less than about a kilogram. It breaks down. So this is a ridiculous question, but do fish pee or whales? <laughs> I am not sure. I mean, because that would actually be, that's a very different situation, right? Because you can't really use gravity to get, you know, water out of water. Yeah, but I mean, there's still a muscle involved, right? So I don't know if you have any direct experience with this, Krauss, but I am aware of the fact that it is possible to urinate underwater. Oh, no, for sure. But, uh... There's a density issue, which is not present in air. Well, what, in insofar as when you pee underwater, you end up swimming around in your pee? No, but, you know, if you're an elephant, right, you could basically just open the valve and let it rip. Yeah. Whereas in the water, you know, it's not going to go anywhere without some sort of active expulsion. Well, right. What's, I don't what's think. the problem, though? I guess, I guess the problem is... Uh, thinking about the physics of underwater urination uh, led me to imagine the fish kind of pinwheeling around in a circle based on the (laughs) (laughs) based on the jet (laughs) emerging in only one direction. So I realized (laughs) there there could be some issues, uh, I guess, with underwater urination for fish. Well, apparently whales have bladders as uh, one of the top hits on on Google, actually, is this PubMed article about a transitional cell carcinoma in the urinary bladder of a beluga whale. I have You're breaking up no quite a lot wh- now, actually. I can hear myself, I heard too. something about a beluga. Maybe let's go back to Skype. All right, I guess we can try. Skype was not too bad. All right, back to Skype. All right, goodbye. Mm.
Hello again. A tarantula enjoys a fine chewing gum. <laughs> Unique, you know, Project... You know, <laughs> you know Project uh, Podcast More Professionally in 2014 is off to just a great start. <laughs> Unique. Uh, I'm, still, I'm clipping again. Yeah. How the For rebels birthday, change? I'm going to buy you a new internet, I think. It, no, Canadian internet just sucks. Well, they're charging well, me $2 the, less than they're charging Nelly, which makes me kind of happy. I mean, the bits get all frozen, right, when they travel through the ground up there? I guess. I think it's Skype, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, it's, you know, unlike your web browser, Skype does require a pretty continuous real-time connection. You know, so if the web browser hangs up for a tenth of a second, you might not notice, but... All right, I think I'm back in business. Yeah, that looks pretty good. Okay. Well, anyway. Should we just start from the top? No, I think we're good. It's I think been we can, sort of a write-off. I, I mean, it's going to be a pain to cut out some of the stuff, but that's fine. Uh, I believe you're talking about the something about a beluga whale. Yeah, so apparently blue, whales do have bladders, and for some reason, one has been extensively biopsied to see if the whale had cancer, which it did. Um, okay. I, it's one of these papers where it's like, good for you guys. I vaguely remember, and this could be a misremembering. I've been known to speculate wildly and incorrectly before, but I seem to remember something about how true fish, not like whales or dolphins, might excrete waste like just through their skin, you know, or something like that, or through maybe their gills. It can't you know be what I mean? Skin, uh, or something like that. I don't know. Because I, I mean, I'm sure my history of goldfish ownership can confirm that. Fish definitely poop, but or maybe they're like birds that it's all kind of a big mixture. Oh, you're right. Some does diffuse through the gill. No, they have kidneys. Whoa! All right, so you have different kidneys if you live in freshwater and saltwater, and some fish have kidneys that are adapted to both. That's kind of cool, actually. I'm glad we asked this. What seemed, on the face of it, to be a stupid question. I'm not sure if it has a bladder per se. You might be thinking of you might be thinking of bugs which breathe through their skin. I guess. I, I, that might have just also been speculation. But gills is good enough. I mean, if, if it is true that some of the ammonia and stuff... This is going off of Yahoo Answers. I probably need a more scientific for, uh, source. <laughs> How is Babby Fish formed? Yes. But anyway, well, yeah, it's looking like I'm seeing multiple sources that some of the ammonia and stuff like that comes out through the gills. But then a lot of types of fish do have... Uh, some form of bladder and urethra and so forth as well. Is that what you're getting? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think the gills is, is sort of a red herring, if you will. I think most of it does seem to come out the usual way. Okay. Oh, this is cool. So uh, apparently, you know, the kidneys pull salt out of your blood and stuff. Right. But sharks just, sharks just don't bother. They just keep their blood salt matched to the water. Wait, say that again? So, so the kidneys are involved in like regulating, you know, the osmolarity of your blood, right? And so they they pull salt out, you know, if you're if it's too salty. Uh, but sharks don't bother with that; they just skip it, and their blood salt is matched to what the water is. Oh, that's weird. Well, presumably because they're you know bathed in salt. Well, yeah, but doesn't that you would think that, that would affect various processes to you know not be able to count on always having the same, you know, salt concentration in the blood, right? I guess. I mean, maybe salt don't move that much. 
I, I don't know, but you would think, like, for example, you know, because sodium, and for that matter, uh, chlorine or chloride, you know, they're pretty important in, for example, the brain, right? You know, for excitation and inhibition of, of uh, nerve neurons. So I was always under the impression, maybe this is a false impression, that, you know, at some point, some of that's got to come from, like, the blood and so forth. You know what I mean? Like, I, well, I guess it all comes through the CSF, but that is supplied by the blood. Maybe, maybe it doesn't cause a problem for their brains or anything else. You know, if different amounts of sodium or chloride are present in in the blood. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Weird. Um, all right, so we should probably move off this topic pretty soon. But did you see this other article uh, on National Geographic linked from the mammal urination law about turtles urinating via their mouths? No! Gross! And also kind of awesome. Uh, it's linked from that same article. Tell me more, I guess? N- not all turtles, because as we learned in last episode with Andy and uh, Saturday Morning Breakfast Cereal, you know, turtles do have a cloaca that serves as ure- urethra, anus, etc. But apparently this one species of soft- soft-shelled turtle in China urinates in puddles through its mouth says researchers at the National University of Singapore noticed that this particular species of turtles would stick their heads into puddles of water and wiggle their tongues, but they weren't drinking. They had gill-like structures. They knew they had gill-like structures inside their mouth, but they knew that they weren't actually gills. And then they basically purchased the live turtles from a local market, the researchers did. (laughs) I assume, I was trying not to make any more jokes on this episode, like last episode, about people in Asia eating pretty much any animal that they find lying around, but apparently it's <laughs> it's just not going to happen this time either. But uh, yes, it says only, uh, so they kept these turtles in water for six days, but only 6% of the urea produced by the turtles ended up in the classical kind of urine. And then the researchers took the reptiles, uh, took the turtles out of the water, but gave them like a, a nearby puddle. And what the turtles did was dip their heads uh, into the puddle and spat out urea through their mouths, basically using the, using the water in the puddle to kind of like rinse, you know, rinse it out and like, uh, um, dilute it. Ugh, that seems like a really weird way to do this. Yeah. So it's not technically peeing in the classical sense, but it is getting rid of urea through the mouth. I know, but you're sort of contaminating your, uh, your inputs with your outputs, if you will. Yeah. Well, there's that. There's also just, I mean, it shouldn't be a problem in the same way that, you know, number two would be because urine is sterile and urea is not a particularly harmful substance, except that you just have to get rid of it from time to time. But it is just a, you know, it's just weird that it would adapt so differently in that particular species of turtles from the way that almost everyone else does it. Well, you weren't kidding about buying them from a market either. So, uh, yeah, no, that was it's if it's in National (laughs) Geographic, I assume it's true. Um, what they say lo- later on in the article is that the the turtles live in brackish water and that they think it's an adaptation that basically requires, because, you know, normally when you pee, you have to get rid of some water along with your urea. Uh, but they think this might be a way to conserve more water. So basically, you know, we talked in the last episode about why you can't drink seawater. The idea being that, you know, it would lead to kind of a vicious cycle if you had to urinate out all your urea and then drink more uh, salt water to replenish the water. Oh, apparently reptiles can't expel salt in your, their urine. That would be a big part of it. So that to to 
basically, ah, I'm not explaining this well at all. To get rid of the urea without losing, wait a minute. Well, whatever. Anyway, apparently it's some adaptation to deal with the fact that they live in salty water and that they can't just easily drink water to replace that, that which is peed out. So there's that. Huh, weird. Yeah. Shall we move on to the next topic? Number two. <laughs> and then the topic of, or the subject of topic number two is? Number two. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Please proceed. So uh, you may have also seen this. It's been floating around uh, sort of the internet. A study just came out arguing that dogs line themselves up with the Earth's magnetic field in order to... Uh... Well, actually, this is another fascinating part of this. The pop culture, or the popular science coverage of this goes through goes to extraordinary lengths to find a way to phrase this delicately. Um, <laughs> to defecate, relieve themselves, do the defecation dance shows up like three or four times if you just Google. Really? Yeah. Dogs align with magnetic field while pooping, study says. Dogs poop in line with the Earth's magnetic field. Dogs align with the Earth's magnetic field for pooping. <laughs> Dog poop aligned with Earth's magnetic field. <laughs> But yeah, it's a sort of strange result. So the the authors... Uh, hold on. I... I really want a parody version of this article where dogs poop in synchrony with the band, The Magnetic Fields. <laughs> that should be our intro music. I've never, I've never actually listened to them. Have you? Yeah, they're okay. Yeah, I need to. That, they're on my list of bands to check out one day. Okay, so, so this study is from a massive group of people. Apparently from the Berta Lab in the Czech Republic. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 13 different authors. That's an impressive number of authors for a paper like that. Well, so the paper is interesting because, um, so we know fairly well that animals can be influenced by the magnetic field. So uh, birds, for example, use the Earth's magnetic field to migrate. And some of them right. migrate like ludicrous distances, right? Like uh, some make more or less round trips around the entire world to stay warm in the, well, to stay warm. So they, yep. you know, move from north to south. But evidence, so evidence for that is is very, very easy to find. So there's a, sort of a classic study where uh, this German guy, whose name I'm blanking on, just took a bunch of birds, put them in a big cage, and then stacked some enormous magnets on one side of the cage. <laughs> and then he and just, all the birds stuck to that side of the cage? <laughs> well, pretty much. Uh, like, so he has, there's a little graph in this paper of where the birds are, or where they spend their time. And in one season, they're all piled up by the north side, and then, uh, you know, time passes. Oh, that's and... crazy, actually. That's a that's a cool study. And so, actually, that's a good segue into this paper. And that's well, what's missing from I, this can dog. I, can, I, can I first mention, before we segue into that, the study that you, the forbidden study that you and I always wanted to run but never did? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Krauss is in my higher tech but less ethical version that we wanted to test. Uh, I guess before we knew about this, study with the uh the magnet near the cage was you know uh when you do neuroimaging as i do use an mri machine which has a magnet that uh in the case of the one i use is three tesla which is i believe sixty thousand times the uh strength of the earth's magnetic field so very strong like stronger than one of the magnets that they use in junkyards like pickup cars uh or about as strong i think possibly a bit stronger so you know our less less uh scientifically rigorous but more cruel way of testing this was to just grab a pigeon 
or you know a homing pigeon or some other migrating bird or something and toss them into the scanner and see if it made their head explode basically <laughs> yep so magnetoception's weird though cuz a lot of people study it but uh i don't know i feel like it's it's got a fair number of crackpots yeah and we a lot of the time we don't have a great do we do we understand how it works yet in birds no. and so forth uh so in birds actually there's this there's at least some evidence suggesting it's tied into the visual system so the birds see sort of like an overlay onto you know the rest of the world that tells them which way which way is north. Right, but I'm talking about how uh, at a, at a lower level what the actual sensor of the magnetic field is in the first place. Sort of. There are two theories. One of which is well, they're both weird. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. One is that it could catalyze like uh, certain reactions preferentially when you're aligned with the magnetic field versus not. And so the reaction goes faster or slower, and then its product is sensed by by something. Oh, this is the the Wikipedia article on magnetoception is actually pretty cool. Yeah, that's I think where I learned this from. I didn't know that there were magnetotactic bacteria. Yeah, that where the bacteria align themselves with the uh, magnetic field lines. Well, so bacteria are so small. I actually wonder if that's intentional or if you just had like a differential well, distribution of paramagnetic stuff. I guess in, just in get this that case, for free? these bacteria have what are called apparently magnetosomes, which have little particles of uh, magnetite or iron sulfide basically in the bacteria. So I guess it's, um, I mean, I don't know why they have that, but it's, I guess it's un- understood how they do it in the bacteria. But it, yeah, but go ahead. Sorry. So it looks like we don't have a great idea about how it works in like birds and such, but, uh, or for that matter, dogs. But we're, you were going to go through the uh, some of the theories? Okay, so yeah. So one is that you have this sort of preferential catalyzation of, of a reaction. Yeah. And then its, it's product gets picked up. Um, so people have argued this happens in retinal neurons. And so the bird can sort of see the magnetic field, you know, so it sees like basically lines overlaid on it, sort of like a, like a heads-up display. Right, yeah. The other idea is that you've got little particles of iron oxide or magnetite, and they're just sort of attached to a stretch receptor. So you have basically like a little teeny tiny compass. I mean, that makes sense as well. I guess the question is, well, I guess it's not that hard. Uh, my question was going to be like how you construct, how you ensure that you get those substances into the brain. But I guess it's not any harder to build, you know what I mean? To build little chunks of iron oxide or something into a cell than it is to form other organic molecules and so forth. Well, I mean, hemoglobin is sort of iron in a cage, right? So this would be iron on a leash instead. <laughs> iron on a cage, or, or Iron on a Leash, both uh, excellent titles for the podcast. <laughs> Caged Iron. Caged Wisdom. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I think birds, at least some birds, hens in particular, have iron in their beak. But yeah, the thing is, that there's no like slam dunk. This is for magne- magnetoception. Uh, and, you know, we take it out and the animal can like no longer do anything. Uh, particularly right. not in mammals. Right. So, so birds are known like fairly well. So part of the reason that these people have been pushing the dogs is that dogs would be a great model for studying this. You can, it's easy to train a dog. It's easy to keep a dog in captivity. You know, like everybody has dogs. Right. So what they did was it's, they just videotaped a whole bunch of dogs pooping. Well, uh, so wait, but going back, like what leads to the hypothesis that dogs would do this? You know what I mean? Well, so that's actually one of the other issues with the paper. Because it would also be very easy to study this in humans if humans had magnetic field uh, detection abilities, but as someone who has been inside of a three Tesla magnetic field many times in the past 
several days, in fact. As far as I could tell you, I am not aware of when it happens and when it doesn't. So I well, guess humans so a... just definitely don't have it, huh? We'll come back to that. Let's go okay. through the paper first. All right. So, so they basically have all these videos of dogs defecating, dozens of dogs defecating. And then they just uh, found this sort of major axis of the dog going through its head and tail. And then they analyzed the data. And they found that dogs are sort of preferentially pointed along a north-south axis while they do their business. Right. Now, I mean, the ob- obvious possible question that you would raise is why is that necessarily magnetic? Is it based on other directional cues like, you know, sun position or whatever? But they, they did some stuff to rule that out, right? I, I only glanced at the paper, but that was what I seem to recall is that they ruled out some of those alternatives. Sort of. Their first argument about that is that sometimes the dog is facing south, which is the sunniest direction. Right, so it's aligned north-south, but it can either be facing north or south, because the dog has two ends. Okay, well, <laughs> that's the true. nicer. The nicer control is that they got all this atmospheric and magnetic storm data, right? So the sun's magnetic field varies like right. quite a bit. And uh, the effect disappears on days where the magnetosphere is going crazy. Right, right, right. So it's, it's not... I guess, and I guess you could sort of demonstrate the converse if you really wanted to by like taking away all directional cues, you know, cloudy day, unfamiliar location, et cetera, you know, except for magnetic field. And that would be pretty easy to demonstrate then too. Right. Well, that's what's missing from this. Yeah. So they show the control in one direction, but not the other. Or, I mean, this will also be a very easy experiment to do uh, with manipulation, right? You go buy a whole bunch of magnets, put a dog in like a little outdoor run and see where he or she poops. Yeah. Well, to the dog and magnet store we go. But yeah, so your question, why dogs, is, is a good one. So the authors, at least in the text, point out that dogs are descended from wolves. And wolves actually do have very large home territories. So if you're a wolf, you run over, it's probably like yeah. 100, 200 square kilometers where you hunt. And you find your way around. You have a den. Yes, and, and I saw this documentary called uh, Homeward Bound, I think, where you know it demonstrated that dogs have a really good sense of direction over long distances. Well, was that the dog or the cat? Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Was, oh, I guess Homeward Bound was actually the book. And what was the Disney movie from our childhoods? It was the um, – or no. Yeah, Homeward Bound was, Homeward was the Bound. movie and yeah. Incredible Journey was the book. That's right. Yep. But it was two dogs and a cat, I believe, right? Yes. I believe that's also where they proved the hypothesis that dogs rule and cat no, cats rule and dogs drool. That's a follow-up paper for, for next week's podcast. Ah, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> um, so that's their argument. And people have argued for magnetic senses in a whole bunch of other animals, too. I think it's some of the same people previously reported that cows align themselves with magnetic fields while grazing. I, I seem to remember, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen stuff about cows lining up in certain directions before. But again, I've never seen it demonstrated that it was necessarily magnetic versus sun-based or something else. Well, the problem is that apparently hasn't held up very well. Okay. So a- Andrew Gelman... The statistician has a long blog post where he sort of looks at this. And uh, he has... I want to be him when I grow up. But yeah, he basically thinks it's chasing the noise, right? So you have... Uh, yeah. So the, cow, so the cow grazing paper was from PNAS in, I think, 2008. Oh, okay. Because I've, I've heard stuff earlier than that about cows lining themselves up. But, but okay, go ahead. So someone tried to replicate it and failed. Well, I mean, one out of every 20, 20 herds of cows probably shows significant... Uh, you know, directional orientation. Well, exactly. So I think if, if you probe enough things, right, like one of them is going to line up with 
or either by chance is going to point north south, right. or there's going to be some uncontrolled thing that you haven't exactly figured out. Um, I, I I haven't got the original dog poop paper right in front of me. How strong was this effect? Was it very obvious, or was it a pretty subtle bias? Well, so that's that's the interesting thing. It's not huge. Um, it's hard to say effect sizes for circular statistics. It's definitely there, like at least in their data. Okay. But uh, Gelman's take on this though is that they do they you know look at so many different subsets of the data that you're going to find something eventually. Right. This is Gelman's take on the cows you're talking about now again, right? Not no, this the is the dogs. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they look at like old dogs and young dogs, and they look at urinating and defecating. I don't know. It's it's hard to. I don't have a good sense for sort of. Right. Although I suppose it is true. Well, I don't know. I mean, I still don't know how much I buy it, but I guess it is something that there's you know there's 180 degrees, or there's a, there's 360 degrees on the circle that you could be facing. And I suppose, you know, only a couple of those are like the cardinal directions that would make presumably the most sense, right? If you were going to be, you know what I mean? It's not like they're, they're organized, they, that they poop north by northwest or something like that. Well, right. That, that wouldn't, well, it certainly wouldn't make. I mean, it doesn't make know. a whole lot of sense to me why they would poop north to south either, but. Yeah, I mean, so a, a couple of the blog posts and op-eds sort of criticizing this. I don't really buy. So it's true that I can't think of an evolutionary reason why you'd want to poop on a north-south alignment. But I can see why Unless... that might be some sort of like side effect of just having a magnetic sense, right? It could be. I was trying to think if it had something to do with like prevailing winds or... Oh, that's an interesting thought. Because you know what I mean? You're making, you're, you're making something that's traceable. I don't know, because prevailing winds are usually eastward or westward, right? Yeah. So, although I guess still, like, you wouldn't think that, that would make that much of a difference, unless it's a question of, like, is it to orient yourself to, like, where you go after you finish pooping? You know, like, then you want to be pointed north or south, which is orthogonal to the prevailing wind. Yeah, or even just, you know, you, you're sort of putting yourself in a known orientation while you're kind of vulnerable. Maybe. So if you have to book it for safety mid-poop, you know, you know exactly where to go. I suppose. I don't know. I don't think that's fatal for the paper, though. Yeah. No, it's just it would just be nice to have some idea of why in addition to, you know, whether it's actually true. But I guess the other issue is, you know, dogs or wolves, rather, they're pretty much apex predators, right? I don't know. I guess would bears eat wolves? I don't. This is something I feel like I should know, especially if I were like an eight year old, because I feel like that's a question eight year old me would have asked. I think rarely. I mean, in general, actually, bears are kind of lazy so a bear would prefer to eat small things picnic baskets picnic baskets berries fish <laughs> yeah although so you hear about bears eating fish and you think about like a new england stream where there's you know like two or three trout right the places where bears live like in alaska the river oh, yeah. is just like chock-a-block full of salmon like, right and they just kind of dip their paw in and take one of these seven billion salmon yeah it's it's not even like hunting like it's actually harder to get fish from a store <laughs> Yeah, I, but I guess my question is, so wolves would not normally have a whole lot of predators, right? Right, that's that's true. But I, I mean, and to some extent, I guess you would also want to possibly cover your tracks from prey, but I don't know. Although I guess at the same time, like wolves have packs, right? And I suppose they could have competing packs. So maybe you're not trying to hide yourself from 
prey or predators so much as other wolves competition i don't know yeah hide or or mark your territory although that's usually by uh urinating yeah i don't know the weird thing is though like well so this group is actually the same group that did the cows they also had a study about foxes so they claim that foxes are more successful in hunting when they're uh hunting again on a north-south alignment okay they also have a paper about carps (laughs) <laughs> which I would love to read because the title is Magnetic Alignment in Carps, Evidence from the Czech Christmas Fish Market. What is it? It's just every article going to come from people just buying their experimental animals in, <laughs> in the supermarket. <laughs> Seems to be the running theme of today's episode. I don't know, though. So, I mean, the thing that you'll never find out is how many animals they looked at and did not find were sensitive to the magnetic field. Yeah. Yeah. On the one hand, they ha- on the other hand, they have a lot of observations in this. So I think it's like... Yeah, it's 1,200, sorry, 1,800 defica- pieces of defecation data, <laughs> and 5,600 urination units, we'll say. Okay. So you'd have to have a pretty strong degree of confidence to collect this data in the beginning. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. If I were the king of science, I would make someone replicate exactly this. And see how it comes out. I don't know. That's a rant for maybe another time. But unfortunately, like, why, why I'm not that, king of science. Well, that's that's a rant for all times. <laughs> but there isn't really a place in science, right, for someone to just sit down and be like, "All right, we're going to spend the next year replicating this." Well, there's a, that's what you we're know people do. are getting into that a bit in psychology now, but that's really more for like high impact results that you know are controversial but really interesting. I feel like yeah, nobody or maybe not that many people care enough to try to replicate this particular finding well also not to poop on your field as it were but it's pretty easy to replicate most psych experiments right you need a a monitor a computer and like some effort yeah depending on the psych experiment i would also like to know that if you are going to poop on my field just make sure you align yourself with the field before doing so well that's the nice thing about the scanner right <laughs> yes well yeah th- that's actually the control that they would they would seal this which i don't think anyone's going to do but it's to expose dogs to a very strong magnetic field while wearing, I guess, non-ferrous collars and then see which way their poop comes out. But that seems to be actually like pretty easy to test in controlled conditions. Just take a dog inside where he can't see the outdoors or I guess, you know, transport him in a in a cage that is dark into some indoor location and then wait till he has to go and shield him magnetically. And there you go. Yeah, uh, it would be cool. And you could even do this with uh, puppies that were not already housebroken. It would probably be an ideal way to do it because then, A, there wouldn't be an aversion to pooping indoors, and B, you wouldn't get any sort of weird learning effects. Yeah, so that's that's actually raised in the paper, too, that you know the people are blind to it, at least nominally blind to this, and uh, I don't know. I think it's... It's a better result than it's getting credit for. Yeah. But it's also just it's also just really weird. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, when I get my next uh year off, I'll uh I'll consider replicating this study for you. I mean, I wonder if you could just go to a dog park with a camera. People might look at you funny. Yeah, they might, I think. I uh, I mean, there must be uh, Well, this is kind of what they did, right? There must be plenty of like video of dogs just around the world, you know, in places that you could figure out what the directions were, you know, geographically somehow or another. 
but I guess it would be kind of hard to pull that together unless you had, I mean, I bet you could get like security camera footage from like central park or something like that pretty easily. My impression is that this is all done by the owners. Yeah. Uh, cause I thank the dog owners at some point. I don't know. All right. Well, shall we move on? Certainly. So we're, I mean, we've already been talking about, we should probably talk about it a few more. I think it might be time to invoke the, uh, the tomato lightning round. All right, do it. Because we have been talking a long time and it's been mostly about urination and defecation. And I feel like we might, might want to class it up a little bit before we go. Well, should we talk about Febreze next? Yeah, I do. Can you do Febreze in five minutes or less? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to, so I have my tomato shaped timer here. Can you hear it? I can hear it. Is it set to five minutes? It's set to, yeah, like six minutes, really. Uh, but please proceed. Go ahead and talk about Febreze. All right. So I actually found this while reading about drug approvals, actually. Okay. So I don't, I don't, I don't know where to start. This is such a strange and interesting topic. Okay. <laughs> so I guess I'll start with the drug. So during many surgeries, and actually some experiments, so I have a depressing amount of experience with this, uh, you want to relax people's muscles, or in some cases almost totally paralyze them so that you can put them on a ventilator. Or like a machine that breathes for you, right? So you don't. But, but, if you're, did you say people's? But you all, you usually mean animals, right? Well, no, it's done or in both. a lot of hum, it's done in a lot of human surgeries too. Oh, in surgery. Well, yeah. If you're talking about like surgeries for, you know, medical purposes, not experimental, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's why there's a drug, right? No one makes drugs for me. So you get paralyzed, and then they have to wean you off the paralytic, which is a little bit dicey because you you don't want the person to be breathing against the machine because it's bad oh, for your lungs. Yeah. Um, but you also don't want to pull them off the machine and just have them suffocate because their muscles have been relaxed. Right. And I guess it's hard to make the machine, like the machine adapt to, you know, when the person's breathing starts to come back. Well, so that's, that's one option, right? So we had this feedback machine where it senses the breathing, it senses right. the sort of back pressure. And, no, and knows when to like turn itself off or decrease its strength or whatever. Yeah, it sort of works. I mean, I guess that could be tricky to get just right. Um, so there's a lot of interest in finding ways to reverse these paralytics, uh, like, immediately. And there's this drug called uh, Sugamadex, uh, which got approved in Europe, but just failed in uh, FDA trials. Actually, it failed a while ago. Yeah. And it's it's related to Febreze, which I actually <laughs> found out while reading about it. Okay. And it, so the idea was that this drug would actually suck up the, the paralytic, and then you would become unparalyzed, and then you would start breathing on your own, and then, you know surgery's over and you'll be happy right but yeah so it, it's derived from the same idea as febreze which initially was just this the same compound and it's like a cone of sugar with uh i think it's a nitrogen group on on the sort of narrow end okay so this the smelly molecules go into the cone they're they're drawn in by the nitrogen and then yeah. they're bonded and they disappear so it actually does neutralize odors oh really that's how febreze yeah. works and in the initial formulation it was just this this uh Oh, God, what is the structure called? I'm totally blanking. I, I don't know what you're... Give me a hint. Starts with... Oh, it's the cy- cyclodextrin. It was just oh, okay, the cyclodextrin yeah. that sucked in the, the bad-smelling odor and made it disappear. Except that freaks people out because, you know, your room smells like, say, dog poop. You spray the Febreze everywhere. And, and then all of a sudden... It suddenly smells like nothing. Right, but due to sort of, like, sensory adaptation and your expectations, you don't smell any change in smell. That was a terrible sentence. You don't sense any change in the odor... You don't sense any change in your sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to phrase it equally poorly for a different reason. So they actually had to go back and reformulate Febreze with the sort of characteristic Febreze smell. So that it replaces the odor, not just not just makes it weirdly absent. 
Yeah, well, now it does both. So there's the psychodextrins, right. but there's also some perfume so that you can, uh, so nice. that you have some indication that it's working. That's pretty cool. I don't have anything else to really add to that, except that this might be a good time to re-advocate for my long-held position that if you Febreze something, like you use that as a transitive verb, right, when you Febreze your sofa or whatever, when your dog, you know, poops on your sofa in a northward direction. Uh, sure, yeah. So if you did that yesterday, what do you say? Febrezed? I'm I'm advocating for f- to make it an irregular verb that you should say. Fibrosen? I, I fibrose it yesterday, and I have fibrosen that couch many times before. Okay, that, I'm on board. That's that's all I have to say about that. I just uh, I think it sounds like it should be irregular. <laughs> and you might need a lot of Febreze if your dog is irregular. <laughs> <laughs> uh, classiest episode ever. <laughs> all right, pretty good. Um, do we have anything else on that topic? Because you've got about another minute. Uh, no. All right. Excellent job with the lightning round. Uh, would you like to go to lightning round topic number two? Uh, sure. That, I think you're up. All right. Apparently I have seven minutes for this now because I can't. Cheater. I, I'm very bad at manipulating the tomato. So I have a question for you, Matt Krause. Bring it. How many oceans does the earth have? You know, this has always bugged me. And in elementary school, I used to argue that it only has one because they're all connected. Okay. So that's one answer. Which is which is true. That's actually on all these pages that you read about the oceans. They all start off with that. What's your secondary answer? Well, you've got the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific yes. Ocean, uh, the Arctic Ocean. Yeah. Uh, is there an Antarctic Ocean? Yeah, I think there is. Well, this is this is my point. Apparently, I was always taught as a kid that there were four oceans, and I came across something the other day, just casually mentioning the fact the the five oceans of the world, and I was like, when did they add a new ocean? What's the fifth ocean? And apparently, they did. What? No, the fifth ocean is the Southern Ocean, or the, you know, Antarctic Ocean. But that didn't exist when I was a kid. So apparently they decided to create, because it's Pacific Atlantic, Indian, Arctic, and now the Southern Ocean. But apparently, yeah, in like 2000, they created this fifth ocean uh, that I never knew about. So we traded Pluto for an ocean. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up point, is that like we're apparently losing planets at approximately the same rate as we gain oceans. So my prediction so, is that if global warming continues to get worse and we create another ocean, you know, that will also eliminate, you know, Neptune. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it works. So how do they define the oceans? Like, I mean, clearly there's not a line there. Yeah, that's what I'm not super clear on. It was, um, I have to find uh, where it says this. I mean, I would guess that the currents and the sort of differences in temperature and all that keep them more separate than you would imagine. Yeah, I don't actually know. I didn't get this far in looking it up. I mean... According to geography.about.com, which is one of the places I saw this on, but uh, not necessarily the most definitive. But yeah, in the spring of 2000, the International Hydrographic Organization decided to uh, create this fifth ocean or define this fifth ocean. So they drew boundaries from the Pacific Atlantic and Indian oceans to make this new fourth largest ocean. But what I don't know, yeah, I don't know like what the criteria are. Because like, you know, for planets, you kind of have a sense of what makes a planet planety, you know? But, yeah, what does make an ocean oceany? I don't know. Ah, apparently geographers disagree, according to Wikipedia, on the southern ocean's boundary or even its existence. Well, it definitely exists. Well, in the sense that, yes, there is water near the South Pole. Oh, apparently it hasn't... The International Hydrographic Organization, or IHO... <laughs> insert joke here... <laughs> has not yet ratified its 2000 definition of the ocean as being south of 60 degrees uh, southern 
I guess that would be what latitude. So, yeah. So apparently, some people still dispute the Southern Ocean, but uh, that just freaked me out when I read that because I, I was still working under the apparently false assumption that we had four oceans and that was a, a done deal. Hmm, that's weird. Yeah. This is two thousand. So this was fourteen years ago. Yeah, that's when they made the decision. Although apparently, it's still somewhat un unratified. I mean, again, yeah, like like we said, it's all kind of arbitrary in the in the long run, but. My argument for arbitrariness was also to get out of, you know, social studies tests. Well, yes. There is only one ocean. <laughs> ocean. Land. Done. <laughs> now we just need to add another six oceans to get, you know, Ocean's Eleven. Wah, wah. I knew that joke was coming, which is why yeah. I'm not laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A related question, which has always bothered me. Do you consider the British Isles to be part of Europe or not? I guess so. I mean, England has sort of a weird relationship with Europe politically, but I, do you mean in terms of, like, tectonic boundaries? Well, that's, in terms of anything, but yeah, the most of the Brits I've talked to seem to consider, you know, they refer to Europe as being not of themselves. And my argument is that the English Channel is not really a big enough boundary to to call you, to declare you separate from the continent of Europe, you know what I mean? No, but they have a weird relationship with the EU, right? They're sort of in the EU, but they don't use their money. Right. And I mean, historically, you know, they've tried to, like, not be dominated by the Europeans. Yeah. I think that's where it comes from. I mean, I think it's on the same plate, right? I think so. And I mean, this is the problem with geography. Not a criticism, it's just the intrinsic problem of defining things, just like, you know, planets. It's like, you know, you say, oh, well, England's an... Or uh, rather, the Great Britain is an island. But, you know, even what's an island is kind of an arbitrary distinction depending on, like, sea level and year, right? Because a lot of things that were once islands have now sunk and are not islands, and a lot of things that were once just ocean rose up and are now islands. Huh. Yeah, it seems to me that tectonic plates would be... But <laughs> I don't think you can argue politics with someone or uh, cultural identity by talking about tectonic plates, so... Actually, when did... When did the newest island appear? The newest island on Earth? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would guess recently. There were actually two last year. Oh, really? Okay. Do you remember in last fall, there was a big, like, earthquake sort of disaster in Pakistan? Yes, vaguely. Yeah. So, so a new island appeared off the coast of, I forget how it's pronounced, Gwadar? In Qatar? September? No, G-W-A-D-A-R. Oh, okay, Pakistan. place in Pakistan. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, again in November, there was uh, an eruption off the coast of Japan. So this new island, the newest one is about 650 feet across, which is actually pretty big for something that's, to just that's merge in the island. water. Yeah, I mean, that's like, you know, you could have a house and a yard on there. Well, again, I you know, I don't want to get too deep into the semantics, but like... Is there... <laughs> or shallow. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> how big does something have to be before you can call it an island, right? Because surely all over the world, various rocks were exposed at various times that were otherwise surrounded by water, but they're not all islands, right? Oh, you mean like, what's the, is there a minimum island size? Well, right. It's like, you know, if you're standing on the shoreline of a continent and you look out into the water and there's like a rock 50 feet out that pokes out of the water, is that an island? No, that doesn't, that doesn't count. Well, but this but, is... and what, how big does it have to be then? Well, you could put a couple houses on this one. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is it house-sized? Does it have to be 
to count as an island, does it have to be big enough to fit the traditional one panel cartoon of a desert island with like two bearded guys and a palm tree? Yeah, they would fit on this. That would work. Okay, so <laughs> I don't know if this <laughs> I don't know if there's a formal definition yet, but uh the Krauss and Johnson formal declaration of an island is anything big enough for two beardy guys and a palm tree to sit on. Yeah, they actually have a, an iridium uh far side cartoon that they hold up. <laughs> it's kept next to the kilogram. I was gonna say they, they put it on Voyager so that the aliens can find out uh what, Here, I'm sending you a pic- how we define an I- island. I just put a picture of the island in the Google Docs. When you look at that, though, you'll be like, yes, that, that is a proper island. Oh, I agree. It's like pornography. Which is, by the way, a oh. comparison that I like to uh, break out without context a lot of the time. <laughs> Wait, who was that? Was that a... I, was a oh, I don't know which Supreme Court justice, but it was in a Supreme Court ruling. If anyone does not know that reference, it was in a Supreme Court ruling about what is... I don't know if it was pornographic or obscene or what, but they, they basically said... It was Potter Stewart. I knew it was one of the, the famous ones. It was who? Potter Stewart. Okay. But yeah, he basically said, I can't give you a precise definition of pornography, but I know it when I see it. Or something like along those lines. That's not a direct quote, but it's close enough. But I agree with you, yeah. Like, we know an island when we see it, but... Yeah, I... I pornography was hard to... Hardcore pornography was is hard to define, but I know it when I see it. Okay, there you go. The part that <laughs> does not ever get quoted is, and the motion picture involved in this case is not... Oh, I didn't really. I can't remember what motion picture was actually the one in question there. Jacob Ellis versus Ohio. Our lightning round uh, timer expired a long time ago, but I'm not sure if we're on a different topic now or not. <laughs> well, we moved from islands to pornography, so uh, it's just sort of a random one. Uh, the film okay. was called The Lovers, Les Amants. Oh, right. Very similar to Les Cousins Dangereuses, but not quite the same. I actually almost got that phrase today in my French practice. <laughs> so I've been doing Duolingo to, to practice yeah. my French, as because here, you know, on parle français ici. Mais oui. But so Duolingo is supposed to be reasonably sciencey. So the idea is, you know, right? Uh, they have some theory about how you learn and remember and forget words, and so it spaces out the things sort of appropriately. But it also that means it also has to generate the sentences more or less at random. So it right. knows that it has to work the word like dangereux. In a few times. <laughs> yeah. So you get absolutely bizarre sentences like for a while. the dangerous dogs, the dangerous goldfish, the dangerous car. Well, yeah, there's a whole subreddit filled with uh, ridiculous things that Duolingo has produced. Oh, really? Because I thought the idea, wasn't the idea was supposed to be that, like, it's gradually bootstrapping the translation of the internet from one language to another by having people translate little bits a little bit at a time? Or, But I guess that doesn't work for the... Be- opening chapters is that the idea well they have two things so there's there's an app or yeah. like a website that does this spaced repetition right sort of a like a it's very much like rosetta stone i mean i've played around with it a little bit myself yeah but it, yeah it's like they give you one unknown word per sentence and then they jack it up a little bit more and jack it up a little bit more right yeah so that's not supposed to help with the translation too much right but on their website you can also read uh like you know real french material Oh, that, well, don't they don't they have a and that, a, like, that's a the thing that's going to get right where they like partially translate a page and you're supposed to like plug in what you already know. Yeah, so you get sort of uh, English on the left, French on the right. Okay, and the idea is that as that gets better, they're also like translating the web. Yeah, they're they're doing uh, CNN now. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so the entire world can learn about you know the latest celebrity baby bump or whatnot. <laughs> Le bump de bébé. Maybe. 
Hello, it's your co-host Matt Johnson again, just interjecting a little bit during the editing process. As you've probably noticed, this is where Matt Krause's audio starts to get a little bit weird. You can hopefully bear with it for just a few minutes. It gets a little bit worse after this, but we did cut things off before it got too weird. Then there's some outtakes afterwards that don't have the distorted audio in them because they were recorded at the beginning before we even started the episode proper. So hopefully you can bear with the weird audio for just a couple of minutes until we kind of reach a stopping point in the episode. And as I kind of alluded to at the beginning, we have some extra audio, maybe another half hour or so of conversation that we might want to release at some point. We might release it just with the bad jumbly wumbliness of it intact as a kind of a lost half episode if anyone really wants to listen to that. Or we might see what we can do to clean it up. If anyone has audio processing skills to donate, feel free to let us know about that. So just a couple more minutes of kind of weird, messed up audio. Then you'll be on the outtakes, which are not very science relevant, but you will hopefully nonetheless find amusing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It works surprisingly well. I thought it was going to be stupid. It's also got that Sidman and Sidman thing going on, where it's it's so dumb that you can basically force yourself to do it. Yeah. It's so so mentally untaxing that it's actually kind of fun. It's kind of fun, and you're like, this is this is stupid, I'm not going to learn anything, but, you know, I'm, I've got like half an hour before I have to go to bed, so I might as well just do a little bit of it. And yeah. then, somehow, you end up being able to understand things in French. Which is, Weird. I mean, uh, you know, presumably kind of how learning language does work as a baby. I mean, not too directly, but in a loose sort of way, right? You pick up the word mama and then you kind of have a sense of what that means. And then you pick up like another word and you kind of have a sense of what that means. And gradually like the sea of unknown words starts to resolve itself. So I can see, and you know, much like, you know, that is sort of how we teach language to kids, right? Like we just kind of repeat crap at them over and over again until they figure it out. And it's kind of a fun game. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. I mean, as a sort of sometimes linguist, I would part of me would prefer that they just like show me a whole bunch of tables and like, all right, here's how it works. Yeah, but it's true that this this does a better job of getting it sort of in your head. Well, it's certainly I think it's a great way of teaching vocabulary, right? Because vocabulary is well, different people have different issues with foreign language learning. I always picked up grammar really quickly but just had a hard time memorizing all the necessary vocabulary. I don't know if that's your case. So actually, I would like it a whole lot for that. But yeah, I would like someone to just give me like a written out cheat sheet of how the grammar works so I could kind of see all the all the tenses and cases and so forth just laid out for me. Yeah, no, I would like that too. The app doesn't do anything even remotely like that. It's like, here's a sentence in French, take a stab at figuring it out, and if you don't, it'll make a little womp-womp noise. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we talked about this in a previous podcast, right? Because my example from French was once you learn what qu'est-ce que c'est really means, it gives you a lot more insight into the grammar, you know, which is what is it that it is with a lot of like apostrophes. Yeah, the apostrophes are killing me. But, you know, Duolingo is not going to help you. I mean, it'll help you learn that like every time you see qu'est-ce que c'est, it means what is it, but it doesn't help you. And granted, most French people probably don't think think through that sentence, right, when they say it. Right. Or the talking heads when they say it. Probably do not think psycho killer. What is it that it is every time they are forming that? You know what I mean? Right. Like it's just a phrase that we use without thinking about the meaning underneath it. Right. It's like a it's like a dead metaphor almost. But 
nonetheless, I think it gives you, you know, some more insight into the grammar of the language if you know, if you do know at some level what it actually means. And and no amount of like gradual vocabulary replacement is going to give you that in, in some, for some constructions. Yep. Oh, no, I mean, it does give you some gr- grammar hints and... You know, there is sort of a pleasure in sort of figuring it out from a bunch of examples instead of yeah. having some lady yell at you until you remember it. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommended. Also, I, as much as I hate this word, the like gamification definitely helps. Where, you know, you, yeah. you get some points and like the line goes up. <laughs> You've unlocked verbs. That's exactly. I just unlocked. Uh, <laughs> hold on, I'll tell you exactly what uh, the the present progress the present. Uh, it says VP imp. Oh, okay, so they do give you like grammatical Past terms imperfect. and so forth. Okay. Yeah, but it's all by example, right? So it'll show me like a bunch of things, and you get you get them wrong for a while until you're like, aha, I see how this works. Right. But at least if you are linguistically educated enough to know what that terminology means, that gives you kind of a hint as to like where you're going with this. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, if you go and Google it, you can like look at the table for a few minutes before you start. I mean, I guess that's else. true. It's not. It's not like you're locking yourself into a Duolingo uh, chamber where you can't, you know, just look up the grammar of the language on some website. So probably a little bit of both helps. No, there is no French anywhere else in Quebec. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. It's all uh, been taken away. All right. So we should. That's probably a good place to stop. So just to do the standard end of the episode recap. We would love it if you would check out our show notes on sshhmm.wordpress.com, which is also just our general purpose website with links to uh, the iTunes, you know, iTunes page for this podcast and uh, the general RSS feed if you knew, if you use another podcatcher. Uh, so please utilize that to go on iTunes and rate us or review us even. Uh, recommend us to your friends. Tweet about us. You can follow us on Twitter at, uh, at sign S S Hapho S S H A P H O. Uh, we now have a Facebook page. You can just search for us, search for the show name, super science, happy hour with Matt and Matt TM. And what else? What other social media? Oh, we, ha- we have a few episodes on YouTube, hopefully more soon when we get around to it. If you're listening this way, maybe that's not an issue. Uh, whatever. I'm talking too long about this crap. Uh, <laughs> any other stuff we need to plug or mention? Send us money. Yes, send us money, fame, fortune. Uh, sorry for the long delay, and uh, thanks for listening. Also, yeah, before we sign free. off, I, I should... Oh, you, oh, sorry. I was going to say, you can also email us at supersciencehappyhour at gmail.com. Uh, we very much welcome your suggestions for topics and just general communiques. We would like to hear from you. Also, today is and Matt Johnson's uh, 29th birthday yet again. So uh, Yes, for the several year running. Uh, or Oh, I guess it is now as of like six minutes ago, so... So happy birthday, dude. Many more. Thank you. Uh, Yes, this episode will probably come out, you know, when I'm another half year older, but uh, thank you nonetheless. It'll be 29 again next year. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if you missed it this year, just wait another year and you'll get to celebrate 29 part five or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. I think that's it. We're out. Share us with your friends. See you next time. Adios. Yay. Mrs. Johnson, how are you? It's more, it's more Bane than a sexy phone call.
Recording. All right. Uh, yeah, I, your mention of It's Me, Grant Margaret, I do know, but I was momentarily blocked by uh, Judy Bloom. <laughs> that would be an amazing crossover. <laughs> <laughs> Are you there, God? It's me again, Margaret. And I'm naked. I'm glad we decided to turn on the recording just now. You know, I had this conversation with someone recently, uh, and I, it made me feel old when I was asking them what the movie was that they always played when it was like a movie day. Because for, for our generation, it was always Princess Bride, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it's like interesting enough for adults, but it's PG rated, so you can still show it to kids. And they, they had never heard of it? I think they always watch like The Lion King or something. No, I mean, some of them have heard of it. Although I think I have talked to a lot of people recently who haven't seen it. The people that were born in like the 90s. No one is born then. Yes, no sex was had between uh, 1990 and 1999. Well, that seems about right. Well, <laughs> at least by some of us. <laughs> Although, oddly, Nellie and her sister both hate The Princess Bride. What? How can you hate it? Like, like passionately hate it. Why? What is there to hate about it? I, Everyone I, loves it. That's a, like a law of nature. No, I, I refute it thus. It's, it's like the fourth law of thermodynamics. I don't know, because there's not any cracks about Romania or anything like that in it, as far as I remember. <laughs> Do they think that, like, Gilder is a thinly veiled uh, reference to Romania or something like that? I don't know. I know Nelly doesn't like the RUSs. They are kind of scary. But that's the whole point! And besides, well, yes. there are no such thing as RUSs. Uh, of course. Rodents of unusual size? I don't believe they exist. I, I, we should kind of keep it sort of quick, because... Um, have I told you what I what's happening tomorrow for me? No. So uh, tomorrow, as you may know, is my day of birth. I, but, I was uh, going to ask why you were not out drinking and carousing. Well, I think you know the answer to that. But but no, uh, my special present from past Johnson to present Johnson is my boxes from Malaysia are finally arriving tomorrow. So uh, I'm getting my own stuff back for my birthday, which I think is actually a pretty good gift. And it's all wrapped in everything, actually. That's great. Exactly. It's wrapped in many layers of packing tape. I, I should add for our listeners that when I helped Matt Johnson move out, uh, I noticed that he had taped notes to future Johnson to the bottom of several things. And I found them incredibly useful, actually, because I had totally forgotten I did that. And I rediscovered some of them recently, and it actually helped me a lot. No, the idea is great. It's just that they were addressed to future Johnson. <laughs> yes. It said, Dear Future Johnson. And it was something like, These screws are stripped. Don't try to unscrew this or whatever, you know. Yeah, Love it was past Johnson. It was amazing. Did you get yeah. a fax about a plot to kill yourself? <laughs> I have not, but you know that could be coming. Um, but yeah, so that's my present tomorrow. But the uh, icing on that particular fudgy the whale cake of you know my stuff coming back to me is I just got an email saying that my stuff was going to be delivered between seven and eight in the morning. So <laughs> really, I'm not sure if that's really true or if that's some kind of weird time zone issue because. Um, I think the company is based in Britain or something, but I guess that means just in case they're right, I have to get up at like 6.45 in the morning and be ready to receive eight boxes of stuff I forgot I owned. Um, if they do come at 7 in the morning and you don't have any pants on, can you at least greet the guys with like, thank God, I haven't been outside in months. <laughs> Finally, I had no belonging. I should actually, it would be kind of funny if I just cleared out the living room of, of all objects and act like I you know, just didn't have anything in here. Yeah, just like a blanket and a like a McDonald's cup. Were your custom searches thorough? When I got to Canada, they looked in the back of the van, didn't see any 
obvious bodies or body parts, and then told me I was good to go. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. Uh, you know, I don't know what condition they'll arrive in. Like, when they arrived in Malaysia, there was, like, one thing taken out of them. But <laughs> otherwise, they were intact. But I'm not sure, like, w- one thing I do know is... Customs agents hate this one thing. Well, no, no. Uh, they stole my... Did I tell you this? They No! <laughs> Customs agent. What? What is that? Um, what's, like, the internet ad? Yeah, yeah. It's like doctors hate this one thing. Or... Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. Uh, once again, that was blocked by... Do you remember the old ad for um, bacon strips? Yeah. <laughs> Dogs don't know. It's not real bacon. They know. Uh, we used to joke in high school that they should make the same things for, like, kosher observers and halal observers. Oh, they do. And the tagline would just be like, Jews don't know. It's not real bacon. <laughs> they don't talk quite like that. <laughs> no. But it, for some reason, that, like, spurred that uh, slogan in my mind when you said doctors hate this one thing. Um, no, customs agents apparently love Apple TVs because I had shipped an Apple TV to myself because I had grand plans of using that to, like, stream stuff in my, you know, living room as, well, that's what Apple TVs are for. But they took the Apple TV, but only the Apple TV unit, not the cables, including the power cable, not the remote, which is pretty much entirely essential to run it. It was a very inept uh, act of thievery. Yeah, hopefully they won't be that... Um, the customs guys won't be that thorough this time on the American side because they did this dumb thing where, well, it seemed convenient at the time where I let them pick up the boxes and then I could just email them like the, the, all the customs information, like all the forms that I needed them to, you know, present to customs. But then what happened was I emailed them those things like the next day and, you know, they picked up the boxes and then, like, a couple days later, they're like, oh, yeah, we actually need more information. Like, you need to elaborate more on some of these things. Because I just put, like, household items, you know, elect- like personal electronics and things like that. And then I, you know, of course, by that point, had completely forgotten which exact items went to which of the eight boxes. So there was a lot of guessing and probably omitting. Huh. That's funny, because when I moved to Canada, I made an incredibly detailed list. Like, you know, underwear, boxer briefs, eight pair, and... uh when I brought it into the customs house, the guy was like, oh, that was clever of you to make a list. And then promptly ignored it. I was going to say, it didn't help you in any way, clearly. Well, the funny thing is they were so surprised that I had a list, although it was, you know, on the list-making form they provided. and Ah, maddening. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't really clear what level of detail they wanted. It was super helpful for unpacking, though, because you're like, I need a cup. Oh, <laughs> there are four cups valued at $9 in box 27. <laughs> exactly. Um, I would say let's maybe skip the badass series because that's going to take more research than we feel like doing, and that might. Be oh, I meant to look. That, so. I meant to look that up because there's a free ebook series of like badasses of astronomy or something. Oh, that's cool. All right, so stars of astronomy. You know, regrettably, it's not actually called that. Well, why not? <laughs> I, I don't think it is. Hold on. Now I'm going to check. See, that seems like a no-brainer. Well, it's not the no-brainers of neurology either. Well, I, that was exactly the joke that I was trying to decide if that was lame enough or too lame to make. I think there were some Ig Nobels that were interesting this year, too. But again, maybe that could be something we... The dog poop like, is a shoe-in for that. <laughs> I just realized what I said. Yes. <laughs> I feel like a little dyslexia would have made that sentence even better. Please save that and put it in the uh, put it in the final thing. 
At this rate, we might have a podcast entirely composed of outtakes. I okay, so I have a couple of follow-ups. I can I can confirm the Liz Phelps uh, fear anecdote, which I don't think I talked about on any previous podcast. The forced shocking. Uh, yes, I so told the story to several people. Yeah, it's an awesome story, and I can, I'm glad we can confirm it. So maybe I could briefly mention that. And there was another um, follow-up. Wait, where was it? Oh, the humming the hummingbird tongue erratum. Well, those things are terrifying. Well, but apparently it wasn't a hummingbird tongue. It was like a hummingbird hawk moth, I think, or something like that, which is actually a moth tongue, not a hummingbird tongue. Yes, there's a moth called the hummingbird hawk moth, and apparently that tongue picture, to the best, to the best that I could track down on the internet, is actually the hummingbird hawk moth, not the hummingbird bird. But somewhere, someone like posted it incorrectly, and it got around. Uh, so maybe we can do those two like erratums, errata slash follow ups. Wait, the link to the everyone pees at the same time is not the article about everyone peeing at the same time. Oh, I, I grabbed the wrong one, I think. Sorry. Well, it's weird. It's like the beginning of an article. What is it? Um, oh, did I grab, like, totally the wrong thing? No. Uh, maybe it's Archivix, which is... Oh, up. yeah, no, that's that's the law of urination. But click on the article. It doesn't have the picture of the elephant peeing. Um, well, it's in... Maybe it's the archive version is not um, the final version. Also, I'm not going to download mammalmicturationreel.mpeg. <laughs> I feel like that gets you on a list. <laughs> a list of people who are awesome. Or perverts. <laughs> okay, we definitely have to... Um, I'll cut this. and I don't know if I've been cutting or copying before, but I will cut this one and put it up top, because I think the, the bat thread is definitely worth it. Bat thread. Bat thread. Yeah. We're making we're using up all of our good jokes in the pre pre banter, so I mean I don't know if you know this, but in movies they sometimes tell the same joke like twenty or thirty times. Shh. Well, I was curious, I wanted to see how they measured the animal peeing. I just downloaded one point four megs of something. <laughs> oh god, it's still downloading. Hello NSA. Now I've downloaded 112 megs of something peeing. <laughs> I knew a kid like that in high school. <laughs> it didn't end well for him. Weird that this paper wants my credit card number. <laughs> I have this weird issue with my nose all of a sudden. But uh, please, please describe. Well, it's just like you know, I get colds, like like you do. Yeah. But uh, this this one is like it's. I'm congested, but it's with, like, dry snot powder. <laughs> like Asian earwax uh, powder? Yeah, I guess. It's, it's really annoying, because, you mm. know, if it's snot, you can just, like, blow your nose till it's all gone. Yeah. This you blow and blow, and, like, one little piece of snot powder eventually pops out, and you feel better for... Hmm. This is totally going in the podcast, by the way, now that you've confessed your snot powder issues. I think it's just because it's, like, ludicrously cold and dry. I was going to say, I think it's probably something about, like, you know, freezing the mucus and into little crystals or whatever. But I would massively prefer a regular cold. I think that's fine. Okay, stopping now. Don't say anything funny. Chicken. Penis. Chicken penis. (laughs) <laughs>
Do you want to like record for a few seconds and then play it back to make sure you've yep. got the right? Uh, let's uh, see the right one. I needed something with lots of peas. Pop. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll be discussing okay. that soon enough. Well, we'll be Poop. discussing that when we talk about the dogs. Penis. Whack whack. Yeah. Petunia. <laughs> this also needs to be saved as nine B. <laughs> this can just go in the outtakes too. You're trying to come Phallus. up with dirty p words. Damn it! <laughs> I know this is why I got a C in phonetics. Also, I can just I, tap. Hold on, I'm just going to tap this microphone a few times. Obnoxious. That was going to be my suggestion. Small I mean, tra- I, I hear more transients noises. than I would have guessed. I mean, I heard them. You can try All tapping. Right. Cover your ears for a second. Uh, yeah, it's totally the headset yeah, mic. I think I think we're good. Because <laughs> that wasn't loud at all for me, but I'm sure it was deafening for you. Now I have an erection. Hello, Matt Johnson. Yeah, this little, is Bane. A little sexy wind in my ears just always does it for me. Master Bane. <laughs> uh, that's not the consonant I thought you were going to end with. Uh, Mr. All right. Bane, son. <laughs> um, yes. Although, of course, he got a son by not doing that. I can't do it as good as Troy and Abed. Yeah, they're much... They're, I mean, it's hard to beat Troy and Abed. In the morning! <laughs> Hold on, I moved the mic again. Poop. Poop. Penis. I mean, I'm getting some puff and... I was going to say I'm getting some puff from your penis, but I... Really? Well. Pop. That's pretty good. It's, like, in front of my eye. That's kind of where it worked best for me, actually. I mean, I can live with that. It's just... It feels very futuristic-y for... It sounds pretty good, actually. Also, how is my, uh... Are you getting any reverb? No, actually. I I covered the walls with a bunch of blankets, so my house looks like a crack. (laughs) I figured the audio is a little bit better. Was that for insulation of, of... Temperature or sound? No, for podcasting purposes. No oh. Pops, no pops there either. Well, that was quite uh, precocious of you. Indeed, I like to be prepared. Meanwhile, I um, pointed I... my microphone towards a loud highway, but I don't actually see most of the car noises coming up, so I think we're okay. Like, oh, do you I hear that one? It. Yep, quite well. Okay. Well, How okay, that s- one is pretty loud. How am I I'll, on my um... sexy syllabants? You look okay. I'll... All right, I just pointed the directional mic a little more directionally towards me, but we'll see how it goes. I couldn't remember any of the good Ron Burgundy warm-up routines, which I meant to work into this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember them either. Scotchy, scotch, scotch. That's all I remember. The Human Torch was the night of bank loan. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone just went to IMDb. The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. <laughs> Let's try also, since this is, you know, season two or whatever, to not talk work over on each our, other. What's that? Not talk over each other? Yeah, kind of like we just did, yes. Try not not do that. That was for ironical purposes. Oh, okay. The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. How now, brown cow? The skeleton <laughs> ran out of shampoo in the shower. You look like a blueberry. By the way, now not only are you – I wish I could record this in some way. Not only are you Cyloning in general, but there's a weird echo every time you say something, which makes it equ- doubly creepy. Echo. That is terrifying. <laughs> Wait a minute. Actually, let, let me see. Just unplug your headphones. 
Yeah, let me let me unplug the headphones and see if you can pick up some of it. Hang on. Echo. Matt Johnson, I am your father. Oh god, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Matt Johnson. I'm coming for you. I feel like you could if you could Actually, I didn't realize it was quite as loud as it was because I still had the headphones on, even though they weren't plugged in. I've, I hope my neighbors can't hear this. <laughs> Bring back Johnson presents and your daughters. Oh, you put your headphones back on, huh? No, I just turned the audio down a little bit. Oh, you want them to bring you, bring you their daughters? Well, I mean, I'll take them, but I am a little concerned that it's midnight and we're being like slightly too loud if I have it too, up too much. You think they won't bring you their daughters if you're too loud? Probably not. Uh, I feel like you could, if you could like keep this uh, technique, you could totally market this as like a some sort of creepy voice modulator. <laughs> yes, just have the victim uh, log into Skype, wait two hours, and then I'll say creepy things to them. <laughs> right. Although it actually sounds like it's going away a bit. It's less creepy than it was. Oh well. Um, all right. Well, shall we? Um... Yeah. All right. So I'll stop. Shall I right. stop? Don't say anything yeah. else funny. I'll, I'll stop as well. Uh, once I can figure out which screen my freaking mouse pointer is on. All right, ready? I'm stopping.